welcome to the Writer's Rough Draft Podcast, where I climb behind the glamorous book launch world of successful writers and entrepreneurs and into the mind of folks like you who are just getting their start. Equal parts witty writing information and unabashed content curiosity with a healthy dose of laughter thrown in, my conversations with these pros share some of the trials, tips, and techniques that others have used to help you build your writing and content and establish you as a leader in your field. I'm your host, Alyssa Doucette, and I'm here to talk about all that and have some fun with Anne Handley today. You can find the links, resources, and transcript of our chat on the website at craftyourcontent.com slash episode 18. Anne Handley is a best-selling author, veteran digital content creator and manager, columnist for multiple online and print publications, former business journalist, and editor. She serves as the chief content officer for the award-winning marketing site, Marketing Profs. Her recent book, Everybody Writes, has hit bestseller lists across the country, including the Wall Street Journal. Previously, she co-authored the wildly successful book, Content Rules with C.C. Chapman, which has gone on to be translated in nine languages. Her articles and columns have appeared in multiple places such as Entrepreneur Magazine, LinkedIn Influencers, The Huffington Post, Mashable, American Express Open Forum, and more. She's been named a top blogger and the most influential woman in social media by Forbes. Previously, she pioneered the art of digital marketing by co-founding the company ClickZ, one of the first interactive sources of interactive marketing news and commentary. But my personal favorite adoration of Anne comes direct from a simple quote tossed on her Twitter profile, where she states she is waging a war on content mediocrity. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Anne. Is there anything I missed in there? Oh, my gosh. That's, uh, I don't think so. No, but thank you for that. That was a very, very generous introduction. So thank you. Uh, it's it definitely not generous. It's mostly all pulled from uh, your about pages and the stuff you've done. So it's just all condensed into a, a, a really long narrative. All right. Well, it's thorough then. <laughs> <laughs> so starting at the beginning of that narrative, because you do have an extremely kind of storied and tenured experience in online marketing and content. How, how did you get started in all of this? Take us way back to the beginning. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> well, way back to the beginning, uh, when I was eight years old, I wrote in my diary that I wanted to be a writer, but I spelled it with two T's, so I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to be a content creator in, in the modern vernacular. And when I was in elementary school, I started collecting pen pals, right? I, I would go out and just, you know, get pen pals from all over the world. So I had a pen pal in Malaysia, I had one in Australia, I had one in New Jersey of all the foreign places. <laughs> um, just all over. I, at, at the height, I think I had somewhere between eight and 10 because the reason I did that is because to me, I always needed an audience for my writing, you know? And so at the time, being a child growing up in the Boston suburbs, the only audience that I could really think to create on my own was through pen pals. So things like writing in a diary or keeping a journal were never interesting to me. What was interesting to me was writing and producing content, so to speak, for other people. And so that's the way that I, I sort of grew an audience. Well, and that, I was going to say that's really interesting because it does speak a lot to the types of writing and content that you do that 
you started out, granted, writing for an audience, but you started out communicating with people rather than starting out writing stories and different things. Right, right. And the funny thing about that was that yeah, I always had, you know, one of the things that I talk about in, my, in both books, actually, both in Content Rules and Everybody Writes, I talk a lot about telling true stories well, right? So, I, so for me, the idea of creating fiction never held much allure. It was, it's always been about nonfiction for me. You know, I always wanted to create I always wanted to share real life stories, you know, whether that's on behalf of myself or brands or whatever. And so when I was a child, when I was doing this whole, you know, pen pal routine, it got boring to me writing for eight or 10 or 12 times about my life and all these various letters. So instead I started inventing lives to write about. So I invented this sort of <laughs> version of reality of my own truth. And I, to keep it all straight, I had a notebook where I wrote down like, who are my siblings? Who are my pets? Where do I live? Am I on a farm? Am I on a, am I in an apartment? You know, <laughs> that is so great. It's pretty complicated and pretty weird when you think about it now. But on the other hand, you know, the, the through line there, that the narrative that I think applies just as well to today is that I was always writing it to an audience being very clear in in what I was communicating and how I was communicating it and at the same time you know just sort of telling the story of my life now of course most of those lives were invented at the time uh, which I don't do anymore but um, but it, it was a it was a great <laughs> lesson I think in sort of creating what marketers would call personas you know and then mm. and then writing to that audience so having a very audience-centric point of view was was sort of always my jam you know <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, and you also had the kind of brilliant. I I have to say, when I was an when I was an eight year old, I told a ton of stories. My parents like to share a story of a fourth grade project where I got up and read a report that I had written, mm-hmm. and read literally three pages of this report. Sat back down at the table, and the teacher walked over, picked up the paper, and realized I had only written a paragraph. Oh, you're kidding! <laughs> so just like on the fly, I. Re- made up the entire report to like read out loud at parent teacher conferences. Wow. Which my parents tell that story, I think like half in pride and half in like our daughter may be pathological. Wow. That's great. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like a thin line. But Jeez. I I thought it was pathological with the with the pen pals. That's that's like <laughs> <laughs> but you are smart enough to do the research and the organization to keep it all in track as well, which is kind of brilliant for an eight-year-old. You know, we're we're mostly worried about things like don't eat too much mud. (laughs) Well, yeah. And if you think about that, right, the way that, I mean, I was essentially, I had a content strategy almost for for every, you know, it's like I laid out, you know, the kind of information that I was going to give them and, and what I was going to do. I sort of had a whole plan around it. Um, which sounds pretty hilarious, actually. I still have that notebook, by the way, and someday I'll have to share it. But I do think that the idea of really writing for an audience, if you are a, you know, since we are all business people, since we all represent an organization of some kind, I think representing with your audience in mind is a lesson that I learned really, really early on. Yeah, so kind of fast-forwarding from the eight-year-old with the pen pals in the notebooks to, like, (laughs) high school and university, how did your writing kind of change and grow from that first pen paling experience? You know, I never really studied writing in school. I mean, I was an English major, so I studied a lot of English and I was a journalism major. So I studied, you know, traditional journalism and communications and and that kind of thing. And one of the reasons why I never really took to journalism, although I did work as a journalist for a number of years when I was both 
in college, you know, as an intern and then post college, just after I graduated, I, I started um, working for a business newspaper in Boston and then eventually went on to become a freelancer for lots of different publications, including the Boston Globe. So I did have a, a career in journalism. But honestly, it's like it, it never quite fit my storytelling soul, you know? It's like it always felt to me like it was just too too fact-based. You know, I needed time to sort of tell the story of the setup to sort of build that rapport with an audience, which you don't really get in journalism. I mean, in traditional journalism, I mean, hard news journalism. Right. Well, yeah, there's that kind of fourth wall and objective and... Right, and then stuff. Um, where I was always much more interested in the more the feature writing kind of thing of telling the stories of really interesting people and connecting those people with an audience, letting the audience know why you should care about this issue or this person, um, as opposed to just straight reporting. So I didn't last for very long in news. They they transferred me almost immediately to features because that's really where that's really where my heart was. And so you know, in, in high school and in college and, and just after college, I did a lot of, you know, sort of journalism-ish sort of stuff. And then uh, and then from there went on to, as I, as I mentioned, do lots of freelance writing. When my kids were born, I stopped working full time for journalists, uh, for newspapers, I mean, because um, it was just too hard for me to try to balance all of that. So it, went into, it was just easier to have a, a, a freelancer's life at that point. And then 1997, when my now 18-year-old daughter was a newborn, I founded a website, as you mentioned, called ClickZ.com, which really became one of the first sources of online marketing advice for businesses and organizations. How did you make the decision? I mean, 1997, you were, you were right on the bubble and cutting edge, kind of one of the pioneers who was smart enough to know what was coming. How did you get to be so smart? <laughs> I love this interview. You're so, I think back and listen to this when I'm having a bad day when I'm feeling like stupid and fat. You know? <laughs> you know, it's, I guess it's following my gut. You know, really, that sounds kind of cliche, but I, I think it's very true. My, you know, learning to trust my instincts. You know, I had an instinct that journalism was not going to be the place for me because even then, even in 1997, journalism was changing. You know, newspapers were contracting. They were laying off lots of editors. They were offering early retirement to some of my favorite editors at the Globe. So I had a sense that things were really shifting there. And from a personal point of view, my heart wasn't really in that either, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned, but also Mm -hmm. for, you know, my own personal family reasons. Like I said, I just, I just didn't think I could sustain that. And so when the internet happened, I just was like, wow. I mean, it just hit me like, this is a really, really interesting place to be a publisher, essentially. And so the idea of being able to publish and grow audiences directly, you know, without having to go through a traditional publication like a newspaper or a magazine, you know, to me, that was really, really exciting. So the fact that, you know, my business partner and I at the time could just put up a publication, you know, which was a a newsletter, essentially a website. I was just like, I was blown away by that power. And honestly, like not to sound too Pollyanna about it, but I still am. I still am blown away by the fact that we live in an age where we can build audiences ourselves directly, you know, without going through some sort of gatekeeper, you know, without having a printing press and a distribution network, you know, you you can just do it yourself. I mean, (laughs) That's an amazing, amazing opportunity. And I think we're only beginning to understand really what that means. Speaking of this understanding what that means kind of thing, in 1997, what did that mean? I mean, I was also beginning to get online. I found the brilliance of the 
internet called GeoCities. Oh, yeah. Um, which unfortunately is not nearly as prolific <laughs> as yours. But I had some awesome sites with some great dancing unicorns and sparkles. <laughs> but you, you know, kind of saw beyond the sparkly dancing unicorns. <laughs> what, how did you? build up this kind of audience and this world when everyone else was just kind of staring in big-eyed wonder at what was out there. That's so funny that you mentioned GeoCities. I think <laughs> it's like GeoCities and Angel Fire. Remember oh, like gosh. The, the original Netscape Navigator, remember how that looked, you know? And mm. I never, I was almost allergic to that kind of stuff because I didn't have a technology background. You know, as I said, my background was in journalism. And so that almost confused me. Like I didn't quite get like, you know, remember the websites that they were so confusing and they looked, you know, you went to them and it's like, what, what do you do now? So my philosophy, and actually it's, it's something that I've carried through to this day is, was to be much more of a traditional publisher, you know? So the early iterations of Click Z looked like a magazine homepage, you know, or, or a magazine table of contents. So you know, that's essentially what it looked like. And then you would click through. And so that was our model, you know, was to really think about how we can use the web for traditional publishing. And I don't know that it was really based in anything other than that's what I knew. You know, that's what we were comfortable with. And and my job, you know, my role there as chief content officer was really to handle all the content side of things. So I didn't touch the technology side of it. And I I really didn't understand it because it was, you know, it it was very, it was all very nascent for everybody, but it was especially new to me because I, as I said, you know, my background was so heavily entrenched in publishing that that's where I naturally went when I went online. So in a place where kind of everyone else was, as you said, putting up these hideously cluttered (laughs) and scary various websites and different things, and you were really kind of stepping out on the ledge a little bit and putting out this more content-based world, how did you feel about people kind of taking that stuff in? Like you really were doing something different than what everyone else is doing. I think that's something that's sometimes scary for people as they're creating content or finding things to say is being that person who's kind of going against the grain in an elegant way, not in a like, I'm so cool. I'm usurping the man or whatever way. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know that it was as much going against the grain. Like we didn't have any sense that we were really pioneering, at least from an approach. We didn't have the sense that we were pioneering that. I mean, there were certainly other publications who we were inspired by at the time, like Salon, for example, the very early iterations of Salon were, um, was a publication that I looked at quite a bit because first of all, I, I liked it. I read it. I had respect for it, but also their approach in a different industry. I mean, in a different, you know, vertical, they were general news and, and culture and that kind of thing. But it was very similar to ours in the sense that, you know, like a, a tra- having a traditional journalism approach to online publishing. And there were other publications that were in our vertical as well. Channel seven was another one. They're, they're no longer around, but they were very similar to what we were doing at the time. Industry standard was another one. They were looking at the technology and internet space, the digital space. So there are other publications. And so I don't mean to say that we were the only ones who were approaching it that way. But, you know, I do think that in online marketing, you know, what, what we were trying to do was really teach people how to use the internet to market and um, through giving them information that they would find useful, you know, which is essentially <laughs> what I still think the best publications out there do. At that time, there weren't 
and maybe I, I'm misremembering. It is, you know, a few years since 1997. <laughs> and of course, we're both so young that we were like barely even there when it was happening. But people weren't like making a lot of money online with that kind of stuff. They were, you know, more just putting out content and experiencing like the excitement of, as you said, people actually being able to around the world, read whatever they said with a click. Yeah. So you've got a house full of kids. You're doing freelance writing work. You are also like running this business. How did you find ways to cram that all into a 24 hour day? <laughs> That's funny. Um, I know when I think back on that now, it was kind of insane because, you know, as you mentioned, when we started talking about click C, you know, that was, it was pre bubble, you know, Amazon was like $350 a share or something like that. It was insane. There was all this activity and there was this, everything was very frantic. Everything felt frantic online. And then, as I said, you know, at the same time I had a young children at home and it was kind of nuts. So I think, you know, we used to joke that we were powered by Starbucks. You know, I, I seriously think I like I barely slept during those years. They burned me out pretty bad mm. um, because it was three years that I had Clixie from inception to, you know, to the time that we sold it to what was then Internet.com. And it was it was a lot. I mean, I just I felt completely burnt out. And then after that, I took two years off essentially to recover, to reconnect with my family, you know, to try to. <laughs> try to get a little bit of my soul back. Um, mm. No, I exaggerate. I didn't, I didn't lose my soul, but it definitely was a very sort of frantic period and I felt very stretched. Um, so I just needed to take some time and recover a little bit and then started looking around and got into, uh, at that point I joined Marketing Profs CEO and founder, Alan Weiss, who had started Marvel at the very tail end actually of uh, when I was at Clipsy. That's with the burnout, because I think that that's something that I definitely struggle with myself is kind of this push me, pull me of trying to get stuff created and be the idea person and get stuff done. And then also running the business side of things, because shockingly, the world works in a way that you need money to do things. <laughs> um, and then also this like really random other piece that some people like to have that's called like having a personal life. Yeah. And I think that, you know, many people who are trying to wear all of those hats, or even some of those hats hit this, this kind of burnout place. Do, do you remember anything specifically other than just spending time with your family and kind of regrouping and everything that kind of pulled you out of the burnout and back into a place where you actually wanted to start doing this stuff again? Well, I mean, it's funny. I never really stopped, even during those those years at ClickSee. You know, when I was at ClickSee, I wrote a weekly column. I was always still writing and creating content about lots of things. That to me is just something that I do, you know, the writing and the, um, you know, the creating aspect. I need to do that. So I just do it. <laughs> and I also, I did that even when I was refueling and recharging. The business part of it was the part that I really felt burned out on, you know, leading a team and running a company is, it takes a lot out of a person, mm -hmm. especially during those years when it was so sort of insane, you know, and there was this, there was this, um, this tension to it. So, I think just having not having to deal with that. I mean, just letting it go, sort of sloughing it off like a like a second skin that actually felt really good. And then to me, you know, the piece about creating, that's that's I do that for joy. You know, I would do that no matter what. You know, that that saying, you know, do what you do what you do for money, what you would do anyway. Or mm. I'm I completely just butchered that quote, but that's it. Um, you you rewrote it to be wonderful. So <laughs> we'll go with it. I rewrote it to be ninety five percent more awkwardly framed. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, you know, I do think that there's a lot of truth to that. You know, do what you love and the money will come is, is probably, I guess, another way of saying it. But, you know, I would be a writer and a content creator whether I get paid for it or not, you know. Um, and so I think that to me is, is the key. That's never anything I have to recover from. That's what I use to recover, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So now you're at Marketing Profs. You're working as their chief content officer. What does that look like? What does a chief content officer for an organization do? I think lots of people would love to have one or work with one themselves. Yeah. I think it depends on the organization. I mean, I gave myself this title. I always say that I was the world's <laughs> first chief content officer when I was at Clixie. I sort of made it up and, and now it's become sort of a thing, you know, where lots of organizations have chief content officers. Mm. And so I've been in marketing process, I said, since 2002, and I've been the chief content officer here for, you know, as many years. So what it means to our organization is essentially, hey, I head up all the content here. So that means that anything that we publish or produce in any way. So our podcast, our seminars, our live event in the in the fall that we do every year in Boston, anything that we publish on the website, all of that is under me. And I have a team of incredibly talented and, uh, and wonderful people who work with me to actually produce it. I'm just sort of, um, you know, I'm pretty much just helping them in whatever way that I can and otherwise just staying out of their way. I find that working with teams of people that that somehow ends up being the best way to lead them is kind of just giving them stuff and being like, just let me know if anything breaks really bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing, and I know you'll appreciate this too, it's like, you know, marketing process is virtual. And I, mm. I think that's a big reason why I've been able to sort of maintain sanity here in ways that I just, I couldn't it when I was at ClickSee. I mean, in part because the pace is different, but you know, I mean, in other ways, you know, a growing business is a growing business and marketing profs, you know, is, is a very profitable growing business. We now have about 40 people who work here. So it's not a small startup anymore. Mm. You know, we don't have a handful of people working out of a garage, but what does help me in, in terms of keeping that sort of balance, not only in my life, but also that balance that I need to, you know, sort of give my, myself space and time to write so what helps me is the fact that we are virtual. Like right now, I'm, I will just paint this picture for you because I think you'd appreciate it. But I'm sitting here like in my pajamas, essentially. <laughs> there's a fire going because it's really cold here in Boston. So they're in this room that I'm in. I'm in my living room. And it's just it's very peaceful and very nice. And so I balance that with using all kinds of digital tools, you know, online tools to connect with the teams who are part of Marketing Profs. And then also I do a little bit of travel. So so the balance in my life is actually pretty nice right now to sort of maintain and sustain all of that. Well, I don't want to take that balance away from you, Anne, but I'm going to <laughs> because I think that's a perfect segue into the next section of kind of this interview, which is a fun little game I like to play with folks. Super easy. Uh, over the next two minutes, I'm going to ask you a series of either or questions. So you have to choose one or the other. We're completely uprooting your sense of balance. I'm very sorry. Okay. But I want you to answer with the first thing that pops into your mind. And we're going to try to get through as many as we can to get a little sneak peek into the secret thoughts of your writer's mind. Oh, Lord. This fills me with anxiety at this point. <laughs> as I said, it's super fun. And the questions are pretty easy. So you'll be fine. Are you feeling ready? All right, let's do it. All right, let's go. Pen or pencil? Uh, Sharpie. Mac or PC? Mac. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Night or morning? Oh, my God. It's like between 10 and 10.15 in the morning. That's my only good time. (laughs) 
Good writing or correct writing? Mm, good writing. Noise or silence? Silence. Lefty or righty? Lefty. Weird or typical? Weird. School or no school? We'll have to go with school, I think. Outside or inside? Outside, for sure. Clean or messy? I would say an ordered messy. <laughs> Teacher or student? Student. Town or city? Uh, city. Trains or planes? Oh my god, trains by far. <laughs> Skiing or surfing? Surfing. Fantasy or reality? Mm, reality. Love or money? Always love. Introverts or extroverts? Introverts. Good content or good marketing? Well, actually, I think those are the same thing in my world, but I would say good content. Smile or game face? Smile. Call or text? Text. Money or fame? Fame, probably. Be older than you are now or younger than you are now? No, I'm kind of really happy where I'm at where I am. Can I do a third buy on that one? <laughs> sure. That's a, you're actually the third person to say that. So really, <laughs> yeah. Think before you talk, or talk before you think. Overthinking before I talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, and there is two minutes, so the time is up. But we did cut off right before my favorite question. So since it's my show, I'm going to ask you it anyways. Okay. <laughs> Have a dragon or be a dragon. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I would like to have a dragon, actually. I like the appeal of being able to, you know, whim, be able to use the power of dragon. Yeah, because who doesn't want a little dragon, like, sitting on the couch here next to me? That would be nice. Exactly. And I, I spend far too much on beauty products to ever have to deal with scaly skin, so. Just <laughs> as I said that, by the way, my little dog who was sitting on the couch beside me just gave me an eyeball. She's like, what? <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about, Mom? Dragons. Dragons. What? Dragons? I'm here. There's no room for a dragon. <laughs> I will eat the dragon. I am ferocious. Don't you know that? <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you again for taking time to join me today. And where where can folks find your writing and business and other things? So you can find anything that you want to know about me at annhanley.com. Um, or you can just listen to your lovely intro again, because that pretty much says it all, too. But no, I'm at annhanley.com. I am on Twitter as at annhanley or at marketingprof. So either one works. But you can find all of that at annhanley.com. Fantastic. And do you have any parting thoughts, kind of any wisdom that you could impart for me or for other listeners on the show? So one of my mantras for 2015 is that we don't need more content. We need better content. Hmm. So I would encourage anybody who is listening to this, who is creating content or who has creating content either on behalf of themselves or maybe directing it on, on behalf of their organizations or whatever to really try to internalize that in 2015 too, to really, as you said, you know, I am waging a war on content mediocrity and I just feel like we don't need more content. We need better content. And so I'm imploring everybody in 2015 to really adopt that as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much and have a great day. All right. Thank you so much for having me. You can find this episode's notes and resources at craftyourcontent.com slash episode 18 and the Writer's Rough Draft full archive at craftyourcontent.com slash podcast. If you want to talk more writing with me or just say hi, you can always catch me on Twitter at Alyssa Doucette. Thank you so much for listening to me geek out today about writing with Anne Handley. Till I'm in your earbuds next Tuesday, go create your own compelling content and make some words sexy. 
It's like, well, just don't write mediocre content. Write actual good shit. Right. Don't suck. 